children. I've been through some storms. Yes, there were times when I know my faith got a little dim. But you know what? One day, all at once, those dark clouds broke, and that sun started shining again. So Lord, help me not to grumble and complain about the rough roads I have pulled. I'm drinking from my sauce. Cause my cup has overflowed And if I should go on living And the way gets steep and rough I won't ask for other blessings, Lord I've already been blessed enough And may I never be too busy Help another bear his load. Drinking from my saucer, cause my cup is overflowing. Yes, I'll keep drinking from my saucer, Lord, cause my cup is overflowing. My cup is guys for that and that's very true we've been blessed so 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 much we can never thank God enough for for all that he's done for us uh, obviously like we everybody here is wearing some clothes uh, we all um, have <coughs> food to eat and God's blessed us so much so much thank you guys let's go ahead and have our time of prayer we're going to specifically ask that God would speak to us personally from His Word today. Go ahead and pray there uh, by yourself or with the person sitting beside you. But just ask that God would speak to us and that we would not leave the same. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us another day. I thank you, as was mentioned in Sunday school, that you are holy, you are love, you are perfect justice. Dear God, you are, you are everything good wrapped in one, and I pray that we would, we would see you through your word, that, that we would behold our face and see how desperately we need you, God pray that you would uh, be with Brother Joe, that you would give him the words to speak that we might, and that we might be attentive and that it wouldn't be just simply man's opinion, but that it would be uh, something from you and that we would be willing to respond to whatever you tell us to do, God. We love, we, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our last song. <clears throat> And this should be the, the thrust to everything that we do. Uh, it's to be for in Christ alone, not for our own, um, our own glorification, not for our own gain, but to glorify God, who's given us the ability to do every single thing that we have, that we can do anyways. So let's go ahead and sing in Christ alone. Oh, Lord. 
Got to take the long walk up here with all the eyeballs focusing on the back target here. But good to see y'all this morning. Thankful for the worship that has taken place today. I, I believe worship has happened here, and the Lord's already met with us, and uh, grateful for it. Uh, this morning, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter number fifteen. Luke chapter fifteen. You're probably waiting for me to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Joe. What's your name? <laughs> all right. On the count of three, everybody say your name. One, two, three. Say your name. All right, good job. You guys are good at following instructions there. Um, it, I hope to meet all of you on your way out and uh, either fist bump or elbow or nod or wave or something, or chest bump. I don't know what we can do anymore, but I, I'll at least say hi to you. And uh, I'm thankful for each one of you being here today and thankful for um, just the opportunity to, to worship. A um, couple things. Number one, my beautiful wife is right there on the second row right there. She, she doesn't want me to embarrass her already, because apparently that happened in Sunday school. I don't know. Uh, I didn't think it did, but apparently it did. Uh, she's going to be my timekeeper this morning. Um, I know if she is, uh, she's kind of she's one to keep me going. If she yawns, I need to preach better. And then if she's going, then I need to stop whatever I'm doing. So I, 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 But I'm just grateful that you guys are here today and grateful for the Word of God. We're going to be looking today... I don't know if it was preached last week or not. We're going to find out if it was. You guys get to hear it twice in a row. But uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the parable of the lost son, often called the prodigal son. But today, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at the real key of this whole passage. And it's not the prodigal son. It's not the son who wanders off. It's not even the fact that the son returns. It is the faithful father. The faithful father who waited for his son. The faithful father who still restored his son and, and uh, received his son. And so we're going to be looking at those things today, and uh, if y'all listen fast, I promise I'll preach fast, okay? That doesn't mean I'll get you out of here early. That just means I'll preach fast, all right? <laughs> I'm going to read for you today. I hope you don't mind scripture reading. I like to read the whole passage, and uh, we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us. Uh, verse number 11, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after the, young, uh, the younger son had gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and, sent, uh, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have ki- uh, filled his belly with the husks and the, uh, that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came uh, to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. 
and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with Harlots, thou hast killed him for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you now for this time. We thank you for this morning. We've got to thank you for the songs that have been sung this morning and the praise that has been lifted. Lord, I pray, Lord, now that you would open up my heart and every heart that is here today and that might hear later online, uh, God, that, uh, that we would receive what we need from your word, that we would be chastened, convicted, that we'd be encouraged. God, that you would just have your will and your way today. Pray that you would uh, guard my mouth, uh, my, my tongue, Lord, my, my flesh. And God, that you would speak in me and through me. And Lord, today, I pray if there's one who does not know you, or that they would be saved, born again, that you would draw them to yourself. And God, that today in all these things that we ask and say and sing and do, God, that you would get the praise and the glory which you deserve. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's look now at a few things. First of all, we're going to be looking at the riotous living, verses 11 to 13. Is it all right if I take this jacket off? Good. That sounds good. Thank you all. (laughs) I was told by my wife, if you take your jacket off, fold it nicely. All right. I did it. All right, check that off the list. I appreciate this morning. Uh, Let's look here. The faithful father. This story is often told as Jesus teaches in parables. Parables were given. They are, as you guys know, they're an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. They're given for a purpose, a specific reason. It's a lot like an old wise man who might kind of talk in riddles sometimes to get this point across or might not say a whole lot, but what he does say you better listen to, right? Jesus is doing that. He's preaching to them the kingdom. He's preaching to them a a greater thing than what's taken place. But notice who he's also preaching to before we get truly into the text this morning. He's preaching to Jewish people. He's preaching around those who are in need to trust him. He's preaching to those who know the scripture. He's preaching to those who have have the same customs as he do, but much different customs and ideas than what we do today. They live according to the Old Testament and the law, and the Pharisees even expound and take the law and push it even further. And they're the ones that try to be perfect and live up to that. And these are the ones, those Pharisees surrounding Christ, who are listening to these stories too, because they're trying to listen not for anything good for their heart, but rather that they might find something against Jesus. There are always those who will have something against the Lord, against church, against God's people, but never mind those. As a matter of fact, the Lord addressed them, and he addressed them harshly. But he's fine with them sitting there. He said, go ahead and sit there, that's fine, because what you're going to hear is the truth. And that's what we need today. We need the Word of God, and that's what Christ is proclaiming through this story. He is reaching them, and he's not just preaching to something that they know, but he's preaching to something that is in their heart that they can believe, that they can hold on to. And that should be the goal of church every time we come. It's not to go through the motions. It's to have our hearts changed and affected. And truly, as they hear this story, I guarantee you there were some who were changed in the heart, some for the better that they believed in the Christ. But there were others who would have been there, and they would have had their hearts hardened. They would have believed, how could this father do such a thing? Now, as we're going through, I want to go ahead and address this before we get started into the parable that is given here. And that is none of us today, because we always try to read ourselves in Scripture. Who am I in this passage? Am I this person? Am I that person? Go ahead and mark this down. You and Pastor Joe 
are not the Father, all right? Just like old Maury, all right? We're not, not the Father here. Not the faithful Father. Who are we then? If we're not the Father, we're not Jesus either. We are either one of two people today, and this is where our hearts must be checked. You are either the elder brother who deserves everything, and you think you're going to inherit all these things, and you've watched your younger brother take off into the world and go spend it all away, and then now come back and be celebrated that he's back, and you get bitter because you've remained and you've gone through the motions. You've been the, the good son. And there's an awful lot of religious people today who are the good son. They are still just as lost as can be. And, and furthermore, there is another person that you might be today, and that is the prodigal son. That is the one who has taken and spoiled his life and wasted his life on riotous living and has now come back to the father but needs to come back. But I want you to know, not only does the prodigal need to come back to the father, but that elder son needs to come back to the father. Because I believe in my whole heart that that elder son is just as far from the father as that prodigal was off with the swine. There are people who sit on church pews week in and week out who are just as far from God as a drunk on a bar stool. Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and His grace can reach down, and no one is too far from God that He cannot save them to take them from death to life and from lost to found. That's what we're focused on today. This riotous living, first of all. Verse 11 to 13, this certain man, he had two sons, and what a joy that would have been for him. Not only does he got one son to leave his legacy to, he's got two sons. And it makes it a whole lot easier. He's got the elder son, so most things will go to him. The younger son will get some stuff, but the older son's the one he can count on. He's the one that's going to take care of everything when he, you know, keels over, right? Everything gets inherited. Nobody, by the way, is going to take anything out of this world. You can stuff your casket, your coffin, your whatever. You can stuff it full of whatever you want. Can't take it with you. You're not even going to take the pretty suit or dress they put on you, all right? None of it. Not taking none of it with you. Here's what happens. This man... He has his two sons, and it says in verse 12, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, the common practice of the day was that the children, of course, the sons were going to get the inheritance. The inheritance normally, of course, fell to the eldest first, then the youngest, but everyone was going to get their portion, their fair share. Most of the time, as you guys know, the inheritance doesn't happen until the death does take place. But during that culture and time, uh, what would happen is that there would be sometimes that the inheritance could happen during and while the guy was still alive, while the father was still yet living. That's what happens here. The younger son comes and he says, Father, give me not what I want, but give me what I deserve. It's an awful prideful person to look at someone, especially their father who has clothed them, taken care of them, and has promised them an inheritance and say, give me what I want. If you want to know how we know that people are born sinners, I want you to look at what we first learn as children. One of the first words as children that we learn is mine or give me, right? That's what we want. It's mine. And if a child touches something, if it's theirs or not, it's now theirs, right? That's how that works. It just, you can go out to the parking lot and touch a vehicle and say, mine, it's yours now. I don't know. I don't know if that's how that works or not. But for kids, that's how that happens. For this younger son, he wants what he is owed, and he wants it now. However, if we understand truly what an inheritance is, we don't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. It is given as a gift of grace by the father. So the father has an option here. Tell the son, hey, uh, listen, bucko, you got a few more years to go, all right? And the father would have been good and just and right in doing so. Instead, the father doesn't do that. Look at this. It says at the end of verse 12, he divided unto them his living. He doesn't just give it to the younger son who asked. He gives also for the older son. He says, okay, you guys want it now? You get it now. I believe that you and I miss out on a lot of things that God has for us because we want what he's got now instead of what he's got later. We can miss a whole lot that God has in store because we just live now in the present. Today doesn't count just for today. Today counts for eternity. Not just for tomorrow, but forever and forever. This young man makes his choice and it says in verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. 
what takes place is it doesn't take long, and this young man gets all that he was owed, all that he felt that he deserved from the father. The father gave to him graciously and out of love for his son. The son takes it. He gathers it all up. He doesn't just take a little bit, right? I worked in a, in a credit union bank uh, during the pandemic for a little bit. People come to the, to the drive through and most of the time you say, hey, how are you doing today? And they say, all of it. <laughs> and I go, I don't know if they want all that's in their account or if it's a stick up or what it is, but they, they want it all, right? Nobody just takes a little bit and say the rest. Really. The son takes everything. He takes it all because he has every intention to spend it all. This younger son is living only for the moment. And I want you to know today that not just younger people today, because it's easy for us to sit and go, well, this younger generation only cares about the here and now. So do everyone else who's older and comfortable. We have missed the fact that we're not just living for today. We are living for the glory of God for all of eternity. He says that he wasted it. With the idea and what we find later on in the passage that the older son says that he spent it all in harlots. Y'all know what harlots are? All right, good. If not, ask somebody around you later on. A harlot was committing idolatry and immorality, a wickedness, a sinfulness, sexual impurity. What would take place is this young man goes off to a far country and wastes it, and what he does is he becomes spiritually unclean because of his sinfulness. So now, there's a couple of things that take place, and spiritually, I want you to track with me here, past this parable. The parable is used to get us to the bigger picture. And that is this young son, because of his greed, his pride, his sinfulness, goes into a far country, and now, because of his sin, there's a distance between who? Not just he and the brother, but rather he and the father. The father who gave him the gift. The father who gave him the inheritance. The father who loved him enough to give it to him while he's still yet alive. The one that truly loved him. He's far from him. And that sin takes us quite far away from God. That wasting of our lives takes us far to where we've wasted, we've got nothing else. It's all gone. There are many people today who waste their lives, even on church pews, because they're not truly engaged. They like churchianity, but not Christianity. We don't need more people who like church. We need people who love Christ. And what happens here is this young man doesn't love his father, but he loves what his father has to give to him. I believe that this younger man, and even the older son to a degree, loves what the father can give to him, loves the inheritance, but doesn't love the one that he's inheriting it from. Now, I don't know if you have any sort of family issues. But probably so, right? We all do, don't we? But now let's look spiritually. When we're born, we're born dead in our sins and trespasses. We're born enemies of God. We're born even as the Bible tells us that we are children of, not of God, but of the devil. And that we must be born again into the family of God for Him to become our Heavenly Father. But how do we do that? It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other hope outside of that. There is no other salvation outside of that. Christ came. He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures so that you and I might have life and that you might have it more abundant. That doesn't mean that you just have a bunch of stuff like the younger and the older son wanted, but rather that you have a life full of fruit for the Lord and for all of eternity. This wasteful life is seen by this younger son. And those that are hearing Jesus preach this and tell this would say, I can't believe him. I can't believe me. Now I'd ask you today, do you desire the Father? Do you desire God Himself or what He has to offer for you? Because there's an awful lot of people who gather Sunday to Sunday to consume what they can get from God. But that's not what it's about. It's for us to come and to consume who God is. That's where the real fulfillment is. It's not in the stuff He gives us. That's just a free gift of His grace. It's who He is. To know Him is the ultimate gift. The next thing that we see, though, is because of His sin, there is a reaping that takes place. Verse number 14 says, And when He had spent all, that means this poor young man emptied out his pockets, and all he's got is lint left. Right? That's it. He's got the buttons in his pocket. He, he don't have change. He ain't got a quarter, not a nickel or a dime left to his name. He spent it all in a frivolous and a riotous way, and now he's reaping what he has sown. 
It says, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I'm going to translate for you. That means there won't no food, and now he's hungry and can't buy food. He is literally starving to death. He's got nowhere else to go. He has no job, no money, no home, no family anymore. He is far from his people, literally physically, but even more so spiritually, he is further from his father than he has ever been. He is further from his heavenly father than he's ever been because Jesus is talking to Jewish people. For a Jew to go out to a far country, which is implied a Gentile area, which is non-Jewish, they are becoming ceremonially unclean, spiritually unclean to be around someone that's not Jewish. And then now he's gone into idolatry and immorality with harlots and this wasteful living. And now he's far from his home. It even goes so far as he's so desperate. It says in verse 15 that and when he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country looking for help. And he, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, as Dr. Hoyle Bowman from my Bible college used to say, that class, Jesus never had a Bojangles sausage biscuit. These Jewish people did not eat pork. And to eat it was to become, you guessed it, unclean. Now, we like our Bojangles and hearty sausage biscuits. Right? We like our pig pickings and all these things. But for them, it meant you were now unclean. You could no longer be in the presence of God, nor could you be in the presence of your family or your friends and meant a total exile. And that's the life that he's living. And that's the life that many are living today who have not returned to church, who have not returned to their fathers, who are still yet in their sins. Verse 16 finds him at the lowest place possible. Before there's ever any change in life, sometimes we have to get to such a place where we realize that the only thing that we can do is look up and look back to what God has done for us, to look back to what we used to have. However, before that point, let's look at this. This, this depth, this low part in his life. It says in verse 16, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When I was a youth pastor for a few years, we had what we called rednecks for kids. I don't know if y'all have heard of these such things as rednecks. I don't know if there's any around here. I think probably just a few, right, a handful. Right, But these redneck young kids, what they did is when we would drop them off after events in the van, is that sometimes we'd have to help them chase pigs back into pens and stuff. Well, we also got times where we'd watch them feed them. And they'd feed them jokers anything, right? They'll, they'll eat, right? Like a sloppy pig. And a pig will go to its slop. A pig will go to the mud. And a pig here, this swine for this Jewish young man, it would not have been even a faintest of thought to even go near a pig, to even go near a swine, let alone get in the pen, let alone get down inside of the mud next to the, to the pig to eat what the pig is eating. This would be like for you being so desperate to go up here to the gas station or to the food line and to go out while no one else is looking or even while someone else is looking. You don't even care because you're that desperate for food and you start digging through the garbage, not with your hands, but head first in that thing rooting around and trying to find something for sustenance. That's how desperate he was. He had nowhere to go, but he was reaping his sins. I ask you today, and I ask my own heart, how far are you today from the Father? How far are you today from your spiritual Heavenly Father? How far away are you from Christ? Because I want you to know today, you are as close to God today as you desire to be. As we're about to see, the Father hasn't moved. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to turn. And that's what happens next. We've seen the riotous living. We've seen the reaping of a sin. Now we find repentance. Repentance is perhaps one of the most forgotten words, misused words in all of church. Repentance and faith are not two separate things, but rather go hand in hand like this. You will not have true faith in the Lord, yet there is not true repentance. But you will also not have true repentance if there is not true faith. The two work this way in that it is a turning from one thing to another. There is a fixed, focused point. There you could almost imagine he's fixated on trying to get food out of that trough where the swine are. And now he looks up and you can almost see him looking eye to eye with this unclean pig and it hits him. How far and how low he's gone, how far away and separated he is from his father. 
can almost imagine the tears begin to flow there, right there in the pit. Right there in the pen. God reached down and pricks his heart. It says in verse 17, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He starts thinking and getting homesick. He starts remembering what it was like for him to be at home. For him to be at home, what it meant was he was a son and he had all the rights of a son. He had the good life and was living the good life, especially as the younger son. Right? He's the baby. I'm an only child, so I was the older son and the younger son and the middle child. So imagine that. It was a tough life. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) This younger son knows he had it made in the shade with lemonade. He had it. He had it all. He says, even my dad's servants had it all. He says, I'm starving to death in a pen full of swine, and they right now have food and not just enough to eat. They got enough to put in some Tupperware. They can stick it, and they got more food to eat. He says, I've got nothing. He says, he rehearses literally what he's about to say. Y'all ever been there? You know you got to have that conversation with somebody that come to Jesus meeting and you're the one that's got to come to Jesus and you're kind of prepping what you're going to say and you're like, uh, no, 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 maybe, maybe this, maybe that. And you kind of practice it and you're standing there in the mirror. That's what he's doing here. He says, I will arise and go to my father. What a humbling thing that is. I don't know your testimony today. I don't know how far you've ever been from God. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what sins you, you've committed. And the same for you and me. You don't know what sins I've committed. You don't know where I've been, where I've gone, any of those things. But God does. And what happens here is true repentance. An absolute crushing humility. He is moved by his sinfulness and moved by how good his father truly was. This is a young man who had spent his whole life with his father and yet somehow being around his father, he'd forgotten how good he was. We're awful like that, aren't we? We forget how good God is to us. We get so used to church. We get so used to having different clothes to wear. I got more ties than I know what to do with, right? We've got, we've got those sorts of problems. This young man knew what it was like. He says, <coughs> excuse me. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. You know what true repentance real, really, really looks like? It is understanding that not only have you sinned against somebody, but rather the first and foremost that you sinned against heaven. What does it mean to sin against heaven? It means that you sinned against God. If you were to commit a sin, right, if this whole side of the church, right, y'all, are the, y'all sinned against that side, right? Shame on y'all, right? And this side says, oh, I can't believe they did that. But here's what happens. Did y'all just sin against that side? Or did you also first sin against your Heavenly Father. Every sin that we commit, even if it was just horizontal, as we talked about with the Ten Commandments, the uh, Commandments 5 through 10, you're talking about the horizontal, the outward commandments. If we commit one of those, have we not first also sinned against God? Absolutely. True repentance realizes that we first com- uh, we've gone against God, His Word, His desires for us. He says, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And notice, he realizes his worth. He says, I'm no longer even to be worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of thy hired servants. This is someone who went from being the baby of the family, the younger son who had it all and could have had it all. Now he's got nothing in the pen. And all he wants is to be a servant of his father. He says, I don't even have to be a son anymore. You don't even have to call yourself my father anymore. I just want to be your servant. I ask you today, when was the last time that your sin moved you to such a place that we just wanted to be with God at all costs? We realized how far we've gone. We realized how truly sinful we are in our flesh. And have we mourned over it? This is a man who is mourning his sinfulness and mourning the fact that he will no longer be a son, but just humble enough to say, thank you, God, that I can be a servant. Here's what happens. We go from repentance to a reception. Verse number 20 down through 24 discusses. It says, and he arose. Repentance and faith 
by the way, always has action. There's always a movement. Repentance and faith doesn't look like every Sunday or whenever coming down, slinging snot and tears at the altar. And there's nothing wrong with slinging snot and tears at the altar. That's what it's here for. But if you just sling snot and tears and there's no heart change, and when you walk out those doors, you're the same as you was when you came back in, right? You did, you did nothing. There has to be a heart change. True repentance and true faith will lead us to arise, and not to arise to go back to the pen where the swine are, but rather to swing that gate open, go running past the gambling and the harlots and the sin that he was just in, and to run out of the far country and to run back to his father. Not to try to be a son again, not to try to reclaim what he used to be, but just to try to be a servant. True repentance moves our feet. And the goal of gathering today is to move our feet when we go outside the walls, as the signs say, to get out. We come here to get right, to go out. And that's what the son does. It moves him to action. It says he came to his father. But before he even gets to his father, it says, but when he was yet a great way off. Y'all know how far a great way off is? It's a great way off. He's a long ways away. But what does this show? It says his father saw him. This means that literally as the son is a great way off, however far that is, the father is literally looking out for him. We don't know what else the father's been doing at this point except for looking for his son to be found again. The father is looking and waiting. He's not sitting on the front porch with a shotgun waiting for his kid to come back so he can rush him back off and say, you're no longer a son, get on out of here. Go back where you come from, right? No. Instead, you can almost imagine the father on, a, on the high part of his land looking out, waiting and praying to God that his son would return. His father sees him. And his father gets angry and gets a big old stick and comes charging after his son to whoop him one good time. No. The sad thing is that many people look at God right now in heaven and all of His holiness and think that He's up there trying to play a big old game of whack-a-mole and that's not who God is. God is in heaven right now today looking down not just upon this church but every other gathering of believers and every other person that is in this creation that He has created and is waiting with His outstretched arms, waiting for them to come to Him in repentance and faith. Not just those that are lost and need to be saved, but even those that are saved who have become like the elder son. Here's what happens. He says He had compassion on him. Had compassion on him. That's another way of saying was merciful. Now, this father breaks all the rules. For an older man to run didn't happen. Right? For me to run, it don't happen either. Right? If I'm running, you better see something's chasing me and it's bigger than I am. This father, he breaks all the rules to get to his son. He breaks all the norms, the culture for an older man to hike up his robe and to get on his sandals and take off. Doesn't happen. He sees his son afar off. Instead of waiting for his son to just come to him, he goes and gets him. He takes off running. It says he ran. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. We can't do that today. They weren't social distancing. Why? They were celebrating. Why? Look at this. Verse 21, before we get to the why, we see this rehearsed repentance. He says, the same thing that he was, said he was going to say, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father says, yeah, you're right, boy. Uh, go on back. No. He says, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This young man gets the best treatment there is. The robe and the ring show a, a symbol and a sign of position. He's restored back not as a servant, but rather as the son, just as he was before. And if not, even greater because now the, the Father's love has been bestowed upon him. And I want you to know today that this is such a picture of what salvation truly is. And when we come to Christ, that we give Him on the cross of Calvary our robes of unrighteousness and filthiness and unholiness and dirt. And when we are born again, He gives us His robes of righteousness. 
And it is now as if in Christ Jesus that we were never even in a far country, never wasted our inheritance, never were with the harlots, never were with the swine. It's as if it never happened. And there is a great rejoicing and celebration. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read the whole chapter, there's two parables before this. And what happens is something was lost, and then it gets found, and then there's rejoicing. I think somewhere along the way, most of us in church have lost that rejoicing part. I know it's been a hard year for a lot of people. But God is still waiting and still calling sinners to Himself. God is still calling His own people back to Himself. But today, we're not going to get back to Him unless we turn to Him. We have to repent of our own sinfulness and we turn back. And what is the promise if we do? That there is a reception. He's not sitting there waiting to whack us if we come to Him, but rather, He desires that we come unto Him. And come unto Him all that are weary, heavy laden, broken hearted, the needy, the ones who have been with the swine, the ones who have been with the harlots, the ones who have been in the muck and the mire of the world. Because God says, if you come to me by my grace and faith, you shall be saved, and I'll take off those dirty robes, and I'll put on clean ones. I'll give you a ring to show who you belong to, and I'll put shoes in your feet so you can go and tell the gospel to this world, that they too might come and bring in the harvest. He says, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and began to be merry. I think there's a song that talks about was lost and found. Right? If we're saved today, there was a point in time where you were dead. Dead in your sins and trespasses and you have been made and risen to newness of life, not by your good works, but by the good works of Jesus Christ on the cross and that glorious empty tomb that we just celebrated last Sunday. And by the way, we celebrate every Sunday. That's why we gather together on Sundays because Christ is still risen and reigning on high. And that same Jesus desires that you would repent and come back to Him and He would receive you. What manner of love is this? The Father would send His Son for sinners. That the Son would save them, that the Spirit would seal them. What manner of love is this that He would keep us? And that He would no longer look back at everything that we've done, but rather look at what He's done and say, it's now accredited to your account. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. Not just for the lost sinner, but for the saved sinner. Because that I know that today, every sin that I've ever committed is now washed by the blood of the Lamb. That I am free in Christ, not to free to sin, but free to serve and to love Him. Lastly, we find a response. Y'all still with me? Good. All right. Me too, I think. Verse number 25 says, we're going to find the response. Now his elder son was in the field. He don't even know what's going on. He's out working in the field. He's being the good son, remember? It says, and he came and drew nigh to the house because he heard music and dancing. He, he hears a party. He's celebrating. He wants to go, what's going on? What I miss? Is there a holiday that I miss? What, what, what day is today, right? right? It's like a lot of husbands, right? What day is it, right? It's not my anniversary, is it, right? <laughs> you look at the calendar. He's checking everything. He doesn't know what's going on. He goes to the house to see what's happening. Because he even calls one of the servants in verse 26 and says, what these things mean, right? What's happening here? And the servant says in verse 27, thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. The servant's rejoicing. Why? Because that servant's getting some fatted calf that day. But also that son who he's watched his master weep and cry and search for is now returned home and all is made right and restored. What a joy it is. You know something? We often miss out because we think that the blessings that we receive, that's, that's our focus. And when God blesses somebody else who does something for another church or another group of people or, or our neighbor, we get kind of warm. Come and don't happen to me, right? We ought to rejoice. Why? Because the moment that salvation takes place, the very moment salvation takes place, all of heaven rejoices. And should we not rejoice that Christ is still at work today amongst His people? Absolutely. It says, the response of the older brother, verse 28. You would think that at the news he just heard, he'd be happy. Instead, it says he was angry. 
and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. What happens is literally the house is rocking. They're partying and celebrating and feasting and just excited that things are right in their life again. The son who they thought was dead is actually alive. The one that was lost is now found and restored. The father to the servants are celebrating and now here the older son, flesh and blood, grew up together, played together, did everything together. He's angry and bitter because he was the good son. I didn't go off to the far country. I was the good son. I stayed and helped dad. I was just even working in the field. I haven't spent all my inheritance. I've taken care of it. I'm leaving a legacy. I'm a good person. However, this older son missed out on the love of his father, the presence of his father, and the inheritance of his father the same way that the younger son did. The younger son couldn't see how good his father was and says, I want what you're going to give me when you're dead. Give it to me now so I can go live my life. He does that. Look where it ended up. Terribly. But he's been restored because he's come back to the father. The elder son won't even walk into the house. The same house where his father is. Same house where his brother is. He wants no parts of it. Which one are you today? You're the elder brother today who thinks that somehow your righteousness is good enough before the sight of the father? Because it's not. Are you the same one today who, like the elder brother, sees what God is doing with people who you just say, well, they don't deserve that? People talk about how could people go to hell? How could a good God do that? I want you to know today, there's not a single good person that's ever gone to heaven, nor a single bad person, or excuse me, rather, a single good person that's ever gone to hell that did not deserve it. Matter of fact, the question should not be asked, why do people go to hell? But rather, how in the world does God save people and bring them to heaven? Because they're not deserving of an ounce of it. We have to get the question flipped. Here's the response, though. The father comes out to that elder son, too. The father doesn't say, oh, well, he's being a fuddy-duddy. No, he comes out and he says, well, what's going on? He says, verse 29, And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it goes right over the head of the older son. The whole time he's with his father and misses out on the time spent. The whole time he's with his father, he misses out on how good he's been to him. The whole time he's with his father, he's too busy out working, trying to make his own goods working out in the field, the whole time he's missed out on just being with the father. He's grown bitter at the other brother. He's grown bitter at how good he is. There's an awful lot of church people like that today. There's an awful lot of alleged Christians who are just like that today. Who believe that, just like the younger son, that God owes them something too because I've been so good. God does not owe us a single thing. Every breath, every heartbeat, even every time you stub your toe is an act of the grace of God. Then verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Today, as we have talked about looking at this past year and we see how things have gone, it's been a tough one. We've lost people either from a virus or not from a virus, but people have died, people have left, people have gone, there's been heartaches, there's hurt. And not just here, but I promise you it's everywhere. I've talked to plenty of pastor friends who have watched people leave, not just church, but leave the Lord countless people who are walking away from the faith that they thought they had, but what they really had was what the elder son had. They had their own dead works in religion. Today, I ask you, do you have what the older son has? 
the ability to be in the presence of the Father, miss out because you're so focused on your own goodness that you miss out on the Father's goodness? Maybe, maybe you're not him today. Maybe you're not so full of pride and, and churchy like that. Maybe you're like the prodigal. And you've wasted years and time of the Father's life, of what He's given to you. Maybe you feel like you've spent it all and you're no longer even worthy to be called a son because you don't know what I've done, preacher. I don't. You don't know about me either. You don't know about the person to your left, to your right. God, by the way, is not looking down on your outside. Couldn't give a rip less what you got on today. Cares about what's inside of your heart. And He desires that that heart would be changed and transformed and would be alive again and would beat for Him. Why? So there might be rejoicing. So that which was dead is now alive. That which was lost now is found. Today, I don't know your situation. But I know the human heart. The human heart is desperately wicked. Even us saved folk. Today is not about responding and returning back to church. It's about responding and returning back to Christ. It's about returning back to the Father. Not to get what He's going to give us, but to get him people love talking about heaven and i do too we half of our hymn books and stuff and most of what the lord talks about so much is about heaven absolutely praise god for it that's what our great hope and our what we're longing looking forward to the greatest thing about heaven is not the pearly gates it's not golden streets it's not even seeing grandma and grandpa it is bursting forth through that gate to behold our God upon His throne with outstretched arms, nail-scarred hands to welcome home His Son and His daughters. Today, wherever you are, I want you to know you can turn back to the Father now. The Bible tells us that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever comes to Him, He shall in no wise cast out. Today, you're not worthy to be a servant. You're not even worthy to be a son, but it's through Christ that it makes you worthy. It's through coming to Him by grace alone, through faith alone, that makes you worthy. Today, my heart is that I, myself, that each one here today, who return like the prodigal and like the elder son should have done, to return to the Father, to return to His presence, is there anywhere greater to be than in the presence of God? No. By the way, the presence of God doesn't just happen because somebody sings your favorite song and you get the little tinglys on the back of your neck. The presence of God, when you come to Him and you bow down before Him, the presence of God is right where you are today. Furthermore, you don't need to just return for His presence, but when you return to His love, a lot of people have forgotten that God loves you, not just sovereignly because you're His creation, but personally because He desires to know you and knows every bit of you and created you and wants to know you and to shape and to change your life to give you the love and the joy and the peace and the comfort and all of His goodness. Last, we need to return to His promises, His inheritance. The fact that there is coming a day where we're going to be with our Heavenly Father again. And that ought to make us smile and rejoice. Every time we gather on a Sunday or a Tuesday or we're with friends or we open up a Bible, it's like we're opening up and killing the fatted calf to rejoice because the Lord is meeting with us there in that moment. And today, as we bring this to a close, I'm going to have our sweet pianist, play for us just softly. Today, right where you are, as she plays, if you have a need, this altar will be open. And I don't know if you've had it open, but it's open today. If you need to come to Christ and be born again, I'll come and take the Bible and show you. Just simply cry out to the Lord for mercy and He will save you. Today, if you're like that elder brother and you need to come to the Lord, would you come? 
Today this old altar is open. You can come and give your heart back to the Lord and return back to the Father. And here or at your seat, I can promise you, His arms are open. As she plays, will you come? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you now for this time. We thank you for the songs that have been sung this morning, musicians who have played and given you their talents. Thank you for those who have come to pray. And Lord, as we gather now and we're closing this service and we're bowing our hearts to you, I pray, God, that our hearts should be changed by you, that we would truly turn to you, Lord. Or if there's one today who does need to be saved, I pray, God, that you would draw them you would save them, Lord, that they would know you before it's eternally too late. And Lord God, for those who do know you, I pray, Lord, that we would, each of us, personally turn back to you, God, that we would be able to enjoy all of who you are, not just what you give to us. God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would do wonders in our lives. God, that even through trials and through these difficulties, Lord, that we would grow closer to you that we would be reminded of Your presence and Your love and Your inheritance for us. God, I thank You, Lord, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, that His sacrifice and His resurrection, that I'm not just a servant, but a son, and a joint heir with Jesus. Lord, help us all today to realize who we are in You. And God, that we might not live in the lies of the devil, the lies of our own flesh or sin, but that we might live in the truth of who You are, and who you call us to be, and who you declare us to be, your sons and your daughters, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray, God, that today as we come to a close, that, Lord, that we would leave for today rejoicing in you, praising you, glorifying you, and, Lord, that our hearts would be moved to change and to move us towards you and to move us outside of these walls and to be the change and the difference and the light that this community and this world so desperately needs. Father, we thank you now for this time, for each soul today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sir. And um, Brother Joe, if you and your wife want to head on to the back, as you had mentioned, and greet folks on the way out. Uh, and let's definitely take that with us uh, as we head out uh, for this week. Share the love that God has given us with everybody else. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our final song. And after this, you are dismissed. Christ the Lord is risen today. singing, you are dismissed.